Greetings, everyone. This is another episode of Cold War Brew Podcast. This is your host, Danny Haifong. I'm sorry to all of those who may have been trying to reach me through the link that I was sharing on social media. That is probably no longer working. For some reason, I could not go live with the room that I had originally created, and then it disappeared. So that was pretty frustrating. There still are some bugs with this app for creators. And so I just want to apologize to anyone in advance. If you happen to listen to this later, I'll probably have to update the link for you all who want to listen to this after the fact. But nonetheless, I'm here. I'm live. I do have a topic I want to talk about, and that is Taiwan and what the U.S. and the Biden administration has been saying of late. Give you all some general context about this issue, especially in relation to the Biden administration, what it has been doing, and uh, the war games, the war machinations, the, the, the drums of war that are being beat around this. So... I definitely want to talk about that, and then I want to take your calls. So I'll probably talk for about 15 minutes or so, 15, 20 minutes, uh, hopefully at the most, and then we can have hopefully another 20, uh, 30 minutes or so of conversation, depending on how things look. But nonetheless, so I wanted to talk about Taiwan because on May 23rd, the Biden administration, Joe Biden himself, uh, he was in Japan at the time. Of course, a lot of things have uh, been happening. Uh, the Biden administration right, has been dealing with this mass shooting that has uh, racked the nation in a all day. Uh, a lot of anger about that swirling around. But uh, the Biden administration somehow found time during this period to uh, comment on Taiwan. Uh, so... Essentially, what happened was that uh, the Biden administration, Joe Biden himself, he made a comment to the media. Uh, he was in a press conference, uh, I believe it was in Japan, as he was talking with uh, the new prime minister there. Uh, and he said that if China invaded Taiwan, that the United States would militarily intervene. This goes in contradiction to a long-held policy of so-called strategic ambiguity toward Taiwan that the United States says that it has followed. Uh, basically, what that means is that the United States follows two policies. The one-China policy, which stipulates that Taiwan is a part of China, even if the government, the administration in Taiwan views itself as the rightful leader of China, uh, the the island itself is part of uh, China proper, is part of the nation of China. While there is another law that the United States follows, its own law. It's not an it's not any kind of international agreement, but it's a Taiwan Relations Act, which basically says that the United States has the right to militarize Taiwan, militarize the island, and that's exactly what it is been doing to the tune of tens of billions of dollars uh, worth uh, of military weaponry uh, within the last decade or two alone. So we've had uh, massive arms transfers to Taiwan over the years, and those have picked up steam during the Trump administration and uh, also the Biden administration, which has already uh, put pushed through hundreds of millions. There's even a $14 billion backlog of military weapons that are going to, at some point, when that backlog is addressed, and we know through Pentagon audits that the Pentagon has a lot of problems uh, with uh, just the massive glut of arms transfers and costs and expenditures that it is making. So uh, who knows when that will be addressed, but nonetheless, I think the point stands that there is just a, a really intense policy of militarizing Taiwan. And so... Strategic ambiguity, right, is that China, that the United States is not necessarily declaring war. It's not necessarily uh, using Taiwan as some kind of uh, 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 some kind of chip in a battle to uh, undermine Beijing, undermine China, but that 
the United States respects the one China policy that has roots in the joint communique of 1972 during uh, Richard Nixon's visit, which established normalization of relations between the two countries. And also the United States sees Taiwan as a part of its own national security interests, its own interests in the region and how they relate to, to U.S. interests generally. So that means that the United States has the right to, uh, at the very least, attempt to uh, manipulate political and military affairs on the island. So sounds like a contradiction, and that's because it is, And but that's been the policy uh, for many decades now. So what Joe Biden did and what he's done three, two, three, two different times before this, three different times overall, uh, Joe Biden has essentially uh, made public the fact that the United States is moving toward a policy that is not so strategically ambiguous, but rather is very hostile and is about moving toward a military intervention based upon the so-called correct circumstances. So we have to, first, before I get into why Ukraine uh, factors into this, uh, we have to understand, uh, we, we really do have to understand uh, what is what is happening here. So, as the United States has escalated this new Cold War, there has been less silent militarization of Taiwan. So during the Clinton years, during even the Bush one years, because the United States was mired in the war on terror and uh, a massively expensive and uh, enormously cost uh, 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 prohibitive, these huge wars, or right? these huge wars in the Middle East and um, expanding into Africa, North Africa. Uh, because of that, Taiwan really wasn't, how should we say, it, was, it really wasn't front and center. But that changed beginning with Obama's pivot to Asia, and it really escalated during the Trump administration, where now the politics on Taiwan kind of favor the United States becoming more, even more involved, mainly on the military front, but also politically and in, in, uh, manipulating politics there, supporting uh, the ruling party, which is a separatist party and sees Taiwan as uh, potentially a quote-unquote independent country moving in that direction. The current leadership uh, wants that. And uh, that represents a huge, a hugely and enormously dangerous move on the part of the domestic affairs in Taiwan uh, in breaking the status quo that's existed of Taiwan being part of China. Uh, but nonetheless, the United States has been clamoring for a while now, has been clamoring for years, that China is on the verge of invading Taiwan. And we have to understand that by the that Biden's words here, Biden's comment that the United States will military intervene militarily intervene in Taiwan should China invade, is actually a more hostile posture and position than what it has taken in the Ukraine crisis. So that's where Ukraine comes into this, because from Mike Pompeo to even uh, right more sort of center uh, ruling class organs politically like Wall Street Journal, uh, they've all been saying the same thing. They've all been saying that Taiwan is like Ukraine, and if China invades Taiwan, then the United States needs to figure out what it's going to do, like it is trying to figure out what to do with Ukraine. But unlike Ukraine, where there's a lot of disagreement about, okay, are we going to invade, right? Are we going to come to the defense militarily, directly? Are we going to fight this war on proxy war? Are we Unlike the, uh, I think disagreement that exists that has led actually to the Biden administration not committing anything except weapons and economic warfare on the side of Ukraine. The United States will not and has uh, 
uh, made clear that it's not going to place troops on the ground. It's not going to institute a no-fly zone. It's not going to get directly involved where you'll have U.S. military hardware confronting Russian military forces. That's not going to happen. And I want to apologize if you hear motorcycles out my window. I live in New York City, and that tends to happen. But nonetheless, uh, what's important here is that Biden's posture, and it's been said three times, so we have to believe that this has to be a little bit more than a gaffe. Biden's posture is actually more hostile, but it's not often talked about like that. It's actually more hostile than how the United States has addressed the Ukraine crisis at this point. So that's why we have to be really alert about this. Uh, but this whole, the whole basis, the whole basis for this is really on shaky ground because there is an assumption in the U.S. foreign policy establishment that China is going to, quote unquote, invade Taiwan. First of all, uh, Taiwan is recognized through all of the diplomatic channels, through the one China policy, the United Nations, etc., is recognized as part of China. Uh, politically, of course, right, Taiwan doesn't necessarily associate itself with the People's Republic of China. And for a long time, up until uh, the last several years with the new ruling party, for a long time it was uh, it, it was established that Taiwan's government believed itself as the Republic of China, as the heir of the Chiang Kai-shek KMT Nationalist Party, that it was uh, the rightful government of all of China. Right, that it was one. It was still a one China mentality. It was just a different understanding of how to uh, govern China and, and and who should rightfully govern. Should it be Communist Party led People's Republic or the Nationalist KMT led uh, Republic of China that existed and had to flee after the revolution of 1949? Uh, so now the situation is a bit different in the sense that the United States is clamoring and saying that China is going to somehow invade its own territory, that China is going to take over and force reunification. And there are a lot of problems with this narrative, just like everything with the new Cold War. That's what we talk about here in Cold War Brew. The biggest problem is that Forcing reunification in this kind of political climate, this international climate, where the United States is really looking for reasons to militarily intervene and actually stating pretty publicly so on many different occasions, uh, it would be pretty disruptive to China, to the People's Republic of China, to force reunification. It would cause an international crisis that would ultimately disrupt what China is trying to do economically, its goals for a modern socialist country by 2050, its goals to develop projects like the Belt and Road Initiative, its goals to continue on its economic growth path, to continue to raise the standard of living in China, to continue to address uh, issues of common prosperity, as it is called in China, this idea that uh, now that extreme poverty has been eliminated, now there needs to be attention on relative poverty, meaning that uh, inequality, income inequality, uh, inequality of any type economically must be addressed and there must be kind of a, an equalization of the overall growth that is happening, that now more and more people need to be need to enter into not just a, a sense of having their basic needs met, but also being able to capitalize on uh, the development that China has been able to achieve over the last several decades. So that would be disrupted. And then number two, I think more basically, more basic is the fact that China has never verbalized any such thing. China has never said directly, we're going to invade Taiwan. China never has said anything of this kind, not even cryptically, not even in a propagandistic manner, as the United States often does when it talks about uh, Ukraine, for example. You hear the United States say a lot, oh, well, uh, Ukraine is welcomed in NATO, but 
it's Ukraine's choice, right? Ukraine has self-determination. Ukraine is an independent state. Ukraine has the right to make its own decisions. But even just verbalizing that Ukraine is welcome in NATO and that uh, there there would be uh, quite a lot of interest in admitting Ukraine into NATO, even that is an indication of a very overt policy of trying to envelop Ukraine into the military strategy and posture of the United States. It is an interventionist statement, even if it's trying to toe the line and communicate propagandistically that there's some kind of respect for international law. China hasn't even gone to that level. China has not said has has basically rejected any kind of timeline for reunification, any kind of plan for unification. All China has ever said, especially of late, is that reunification is a possible goal that would probably be favorable to all sides, and it hasn't made any any overtures over uh, what it would do or when it would do it. Right? I don't think that there's any plans for that. So essentially, the whole China invade Taiwan narrative is is made up. There's no, there is no material basis for that. What there is a material basis for, as I said before, is the U.S.'s involvement in Taiwan. It's the U.S.'s billions upon billions upon billions of dollars. I think under Trump, uh, somewhere between five and ten billion dollars worth of military weaponry being sent to the island. Hundreds of millions already has been stipulated by the Biden administration, and it's only been. Uh, we're less than halfway through. And the New York Times has reported that there are more talks about how to fortify the island, how to send more warships, more uh, military hardware there. So the Taiwan Relations Act is a legis- piece of legislation that specifically outlines the commitment to provide weapons and other support to Taiwan. And that's what has been happening, right? And there's this argument that doing so deters China. But as I said before, there really isn't anything to deter. So the dangerous, I think the most dangerous narrative here that is being promoted is the idea that Taiwan is like Ukraine. Uh, Taiwan isn't like Ukraine. Taiwan is not an independent state. Taiwan doesn't have that kind of recognition uh, under the bodies of international law. Uh, Taiwan is is uh, uh, not right. It's not an independent country, and so Ukraine, right, has a particular political context which uh, usually is ignored. Right, Ukraine is an independent state. However, it has been completely interfered upon, encroached upon through U.S. policy for many, many years, but especially since 2014 in the coup, there's been a civil war there, making its domestic politics very much connected to U.S. imperialism and what the U.S. has been doing there. And so uh, the problem has been that despite Ukraine being an independent country, it has been used as a launching pad to threaten Russia's security interests. And you could say that Taiwan has a very similar role, except the stakes are even higher in the sense that Taiwan doesn't have that diplomatic recognition anymore as as an independent country. And uh, uh, for very good reason, right? Because for for a long time after the 1949 revolution, there was a dynamic where the U.S. pressured the entire world, basically, through using its economic and its military hegemony to recognize the Republic of China located in Taiwan uh, as as the rightful government of China. Now, this is much different than saying that Taiwan is some kind of country, right? Much different. However, uh, uh, this increased hostility over Taiwan has the potential, and this is why also it's not the same as Ukraine, is that despite the fact that both are being used as launching pads, the strategic orientation and the policy 
actually is a lot more dangerous than what even Ukraine represents because uh, 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 the U.S.'s interference in Taiwan is literally an encroachment of, of China proper. Unlike Ukraine, which although we can definitely see how Ukraine as an independent country is being used as a, sort of a military uh, launching pad for the U.S.'s interests, uh, we cannot say that it's a direct intervention against Russia like we could with Taiwan. And so uh, it's a very delicate situation. It's a very problematic situation. It really, I think, speaks to the lengths that the United States will go to provoke China. And I think the most dangerous part about the Ukraine crisis, other outside of right this possibility of World War III being sparked because of the United States has an overall plan to target Russia and to attack Russia. I think the most dangerous part about this is that U.S. strategists, especially the military industrial complex, especially uh, in the DOD, uh, they are seeing the Ukraine crisis as a potential opportunity. Uh, the neocons, uh, the, f- the far-right elements, especially of the foreign policy establishment, are seeing this as an opportunity to move on two fronts, not just against Russia, but also against China by trying to whip up hysteria. And it's working because I don't think the Biden administration would be talking about this if it weren't for a lot of the uh, groundwork being laid through this endless propaganda and pressure campaign. And so this pressure campaign, right, you can see it on the pages every time Taiwan is talked about during the Ukraine crisis. It is generally talked about in this way. It's generally talked about how can the U.S. defend Taiwan and prevent something like Ukraine from happening. And so it's really important that we debunk the facts behind this as being absolutely uh, um, just missing from the conversation. And so there's only one last thing I want to say about this before I open it up. I don't know if anyone has any further comments. Um, But uh, Taiwan, right, has, I think, uh, been especially sort of special to the U.S. foreign policy establishment in the sense that it really is a a primary marker of this pivot to Asia. It is seen and has been seen even in the first Cold War as just such a geopolitically important location strategically, now economically because the semiconductor industry is so big there. It has an important role in the global economy that the United States wants to ensure is broken and decoupled from China. So there are a lot of important things about Taiwan that the United States wants to use and exploit to forward its so-called policy of containment. And so that's why Taiwan tends to be this very particular and specific issue that the United States likes to bring up, that the U.S. elite likes to bring up um, at moments of convenience. And the Ukraine crisis has provided that moment of convenience. And we see that, right? I think one of the most startling aspects of this of late was on May 15th, just two weeks ago, uh, Meet the Press on NBC had the Center for New American Security, a neocon think tank who employ people like Peter Sanger and Michael Gordon, both of whom promoted the Iraq war. You might remember uh, uh, Michael Gordon as being the co-author of that article that said that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction in 2002, which laid the ideological groundwork 
for the U.S. foreign policy establishment, Colin Powell, George W. Bush, and the like, to push the Iraq war and then for basically the entire Congress to support it. So you may remember Michael Gordon from that. But a lot of U.S. so-called foreign policy experts uh, who are flooded in the corporate media are employed there. And the Center for New American Security is funded by the Department of Defense and Northrop Grumman Corporation primarily. So these they, they provide, as their website said, $500,000 or more per year. And uh, they're a very influential think tank. And their influence is so deep that Meet the Press had them on to talk about their war game simulations that they have been doing uh, on the topic, on the subject, on the conflict, the potential conflict of China and the U.S. over Taiwan. So they are literally enact, acting it out and normalizing this uh, barbarous and absolutely sociopathic and antisocial and just completely harebrained idea that the United States should fight a war against China uh, over Taiwan. And so we should definitely take the establishment seriously, definitely take Biden seriously. When he says that the United States has this commitment, it is something that is not out of, and it shouldn't be seen, as sort of alien or uh, completely just over the top that would never happen. We have to remember that there's a long history here. In the United States, almost dropped nuclear bombs on China over Taiwan during the Taiwan Strait crisis uh, beginning in 1950. So that was revealed by Daniel Ellsberg just recently through uh, leaked documents that he was able to obtain in violation, intentional violation, he was very public about it, of the Espionage Act. We have to be really uh, concerned about this, and I wanted to bring it up because I think it's one of the most important parts of this new Cold War. Taiwan is constantly in the news. You have a lot of political polarization over this issue, you have a pretty active opposition in Taiwan, a separatist opposition, active online. You'll see them on Twitter. Uh, they will troll. They will talk about how they're, Taiwan is some kind of independent country. They'll treat politics as very one-dimensional and very anti-China. Uh, Taiwan is a flashpoint in this new Cold War, and arguably, especially on the military front, probably the most important, given that uh, the United States, right, unlike with other countries in the region where uh, 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 there's a lot of, I think, contradictions afoot, and a lot of national interests that get in the way of the United States' plans, for example, in the Philippines, right? Even in Japan and South Korea, attempts to organize those countries into some kind of military and economic alliance against China have fallen pretty flat despite the growing militarization of the region and growing military partnerships with those countries. It doesn't mean that they're going to be anti-China, so to speak. But with Taiwan, what's different is that now you have a ruling party there that is openly separatist, and you've always had a dynamic where the United States has jumped ahead, right, and has a particular and specific policy, right? There's no law on the books that says uh, the South Korea Relations Act, right? These laws don't exist with sovereign states, but with Taiwan, and its so-called special status, the United States jumped ahead, militarized the island, and has now been pushing and manipulating and and shifting and pulling and pushing politics there uh, to try and destabilize China internally. I don't think it works so well, and I do think it's a very dangerous uh, war provocation, but... Nonetheless, it is a dynamic that exists, and it is one we have to pay attention to. But I'm actually going to end my comments now. 
And I don't know if anyone has, everyone's in the queue. If they, if you all, I don't know, have any comments, questions, whatever, we can have a chat, um, you know, about this topic, about any other. I'll probably be on for another 20 minutes or so. Sometimes if people are in the queue, I gotta like, do some maneuvering because it doesn't always show up. Uh, but please do jump in to the conversation if you would like. I see some uh, people in the chat, but I don't see anyone in the queue just yet. Um, let me see. Okay. I mean, that's all right if nobody's in the queue either. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I know it's Sunday, day before Memorial Day, right? Celebrating militarism. Awesome. I mean, we can talk about whatever you'd like, uh, but please do jump in. You might already be in the queue. Sometimes, for some reason, uh, it gets a little buggy here on my call-in app. Okay, I see Lewis in the queue. Uh, please do continue to join. I'm going to make you the next caller, Lewis. Uh, Hello. You can unmute yourself. Hey, Danny. Uh, my first time using Colin. <laughs> How's it going? Um, hey, good. It always feels like my first time, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just wanted to, to point out, like, um, what you said about, like, what would the purpose of this be? Um, I was going to mention it, but you, you actually pointed it out yourself. Um like the only possible outcome that, that they could hope for would be simply to, to cause chaos and to destabilize China, not so much Taiwan. Um, because I remember like in the early 2000s or like late 90s, when I first started reading uh, the newspaper and I realized like, oh, there's a continuing story like week by week. It was about we were trying to sell the Aegis missile destroyer to Taiwan because um, it was like it cost billions of dollars and like it was very clear like that was our motivation. We were just trying to sell them like expensive weapons. Um, and every time a deal was was getting close across the strait, Ty- uh, China would would install like an insane amount of missile batteries just to completely overwhelm whatever the Aegis missile destroyer could, could take out. And so it was really clear, like, um, it's just impossible to defend Taiwan. If China wanted it, China would just take it. Um, but, and I believe that for a while, and I, I just, I was, you know, I'm American, so I just kind of believe all of the propaganda until very recently, um, when I actually started looking at what, what China was saying. And... I think the, the simplest thing I could say is what, what, they, what they repeat quite often, which is that Chinese people do not want to kill Chinese people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just as simple as that. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm like trying to think of the motivation. And I agree with you. The only thing it could possibly be would, would be to destabilize um, China. And I'll link to something in the in the chat. It's this really interesting um, foreign policy strategy laid out when we were first the um, only superpower in 1948. Mm. And it's like a, a policy about how to maintain that. And it basically talks about Asia and China specifically saying, we just have to continually, you know, disrupt them. And um, I'll, I'll, link it, I'll link to it. It's really fascinating. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to point that out. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for calling in. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I definitely hear you. I definitely, you know, think that, I mean, uh, uh, what you said has just so much truth to it and that, you know, if you, if you actually also read a lot of what China says through its experts, through its media, through its government officials, they say that Taiwan and peaceful reunification is the goal with Taiwan, that uh, peaceful reunification is what's most beneficial, right? There are a lot of ties that Taiwan, people in Taiwan, people in China, mainland China have to each other. Uh, There's very little appetite 
across the board, even in today where there is a separatist sentiment spreading. And we have to acknowledge that that's the, the case. However, still the status quo is favored because there is so many links and uh, between Taiwan and mainland China. Uh, and uh, there's so much interest in boosting uh, mutual relations and ties, at least among people and uh, the government in mainland China, the People's Republic of China, that uh, it's hard to see how any kind of U.S. intervention there would be beneficial, uh, especially since it's very unlikely that the pretext for that is is really what's not, because I think one what you said about China uh, just being able to do it if it would like like it doesn't it, it 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 doesn't necessarily have to take the position it's taking but it does I think in part because it does have full confidence it can do this peacefully and also has full confidence that uh, the other side no, no matter how dangerous and, and wrong headed uh, kind of has a losing battle on its hands and so. I think that's where a lot of the confidence on the Chinese side really rests. I'm going to bring this to Andrew now. Uh, hello. Thanks for coming. You are now the next caller. Hey, Danny. How's it I, going? Good, good. Good to see you again. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I, I had a couple of questions. Um, I'm not sure if you already addressed this or not, but um, the – um, the semiconductors industry in Taiwan is something that comes up occasionally in Western sources as a, a sort of a, a part of their propaganda narrative is to say that China wants to grip full control over Taiwan the way it has over the rest of the Republic um, for the semiconductors industry. And that they're, you know, they, they just kind of assume or posit that China is going to do that violently um, so I wondered if you could comment on the, you know, the relevance of the semiconductors industry for mainland China. Is that really something that they're lacking? Um, is that really something that they can't, you know, carry out via existing normal trade with Taiwan? And then the other um, question I had is, like, if you could comment on the current situation of the government in Taiwan, because I know that under Chiang Kai-shek and really up until the 90s, it was an extremely repressive, pretty much constant state of martial law. Um, but, you know, I know that it's kind of at least publicly facing chilled out a little bit into this mm. weird Western style parliamentary-esque or congressional mm. system where they have like fights on the on the Congress floor or whatever occasionally. But I wonder beyond the the optics, like, how direct is that lineage from the Chiang Kai-shek era? Um, and you were already kind of alluding to it, but how, you know, how willing are they to, to pull through this, this separatist process, seeing, especially seeing what's going on in Ukraine right now? Yeah, no, those are very good questions. Well, for one, I guess to the latter uh, co comment question that you were making, the, yeah, Taiwan. I mean, Taiwan's history just like, let's say, let's just, I'm not an expert in ta Taiwan's history, but I do know some things post, especially post Chinese revolution is that, yeah, Taiwan was under martial law for like three generations, you know, all the way into the 1980s. And then it shifted more into this parliamentary kind of like bourgeois democratic model, which had, uh, uh, many different benefits for Taiwan, right? It opened it up way more to the Chinese market. There was also a lot of opening up to just the overall global economy, and that allowed for the development of industry and for, uh, uh, you know, uh, sort of a rise in standard of living, although on a uh, very unequal and capitalist basis, which not a lot of people talking talk about. But uh, nonetheless, uh, uh, there was sort of a, a stabilizing force in that and then with the transition of leadership to the dpp right because the dpp had a role in this uh, the dpp you know it called itself a center left party um it you know really started to pick up steam in the 80s after late 80s after it uh, uh 
uh, formed and was able to become a minority force in the government. And then, uh, you know, it had this period where it had absolutely no government influence uh, around the Obama era. But in 2016, it became the majority ruling party. And so with that came kind of like a, 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 a more opening up of sort of like a bourgeois democratic kind of model with though a different set of politics, right? A really dangerous kind of set of a new nationalistic uh, separatist politics, which has, I mean, tendencies that are very problematic, like uh, almost like a book burning policy about Chinese history and an attempt to completely um, break from any kind of relationship to the Chinese revolution and, um, and, and all of that. So just to completely kind of repress even, right. Even just the history of the Republic of China. It's a, it's a very, it's a, it's a very extremist ideology. And I think that, um, this development of this kind of like separate Taiwanese quote unquote identity that has been going on for, Man, has been going on for 15, 20 years now, like nonstop and onslaught. It's part of their propaganda campaign. Now that they've been the ruling party, it's accelerated. And so I do think that the DPP is, is really a puppet of the United States. It, it really does have this, uh, a very, I mean, you have had Tsai Ing-wen, the current president, like right for, I believe it was foreign policy magazine about how Taiwan is like a Western country, right? That's just how they kind of have this like colonized mindset and they are willing to kind of sell off all the principles that have uh, really helped bring about a status quo based upon peace, based upon, uh, in response to really complicated history of U.S. interference and uh, kind of class divides between the Chinese mainland and, and Taiwan. But now they are on a dangerous path. And I don't think that the Ukraine crisis is anything but an opportunity for them and the United States who are really their handlers um, to accelerate the, the attempt to separate Taiwan from China. And so I don't think that's going to change, but uh, to the semiconductor industry question, you know, I, I believe, I don't know if it was you who asked this on my last live stream, but I was doing some reading about it because I was very curious about this question because I had only heard murmurs and I'm not the biggest tech expert, so I don't always know the ins and outs, but I do know that actually of late, What's been happening is that, uh, first of all, Taiwan does have a robust semiconductor industry. However, that semiconductor industry does have a, a reliance, so to speak, on the Chinese mainland, on the market that China has for tech. So it's not like you can, it's not, it's not so easy to decouple, right? But this, but what's happening now with the separatist push is that it's actually threatening the semiconductor industry in Taiwan. And there actually has been capital flight that's been happening. I didn't even know this, but that there has been uh, uh, semiconductor companies and investors who are uh, leaving uh, Taiwan because of the way in which the separation from China could hurt their economic interests. So, so that is something to watch for. And I think it's not, it, and I think it's pretty obvious why there's all this talk about China, you know, needing the semiconductor industry and how it's lacking there. And China has just started trying to produce its own chips. Uh, but China also has all these other lucrative parts of its market which the semiconductor industry is basically reliant upon, which makes it really hard to decouple the two. And I don't think it's really going to succeed, but it will be very interesting to see 
how the economic situation unfolds as Taiwan, with the United States as its handler, try to re- recreate a kind of Ukraine crisis scenario there. I think it will have a deep impact on the tech industry, on uh, the semiconductor industry, and it won't be pretty for the, for, for the U.S. or Taiwan side uh, because, uh, first off, uh, China is not a country that if you're trying to have economic stability, uh, you want to isolate from. But that is exactly the uh, direction that Taiwan is going politically. And that's exactly the direction that the U.S. is pushing it toward. And this just goes to show that the U.S. just has absolutely nothing to offer. Absolutely nothing to offer in this way, except for division and stability and chaos and and the potential for economic uh, calamity and uh, instability. But I'm going to get to Rudy, uh, who's next call next caller. And uh, please do, if you haven't, um, before I make you the next caller, Rudy, uh, please do uh, make sure you're subscribing to this podcast if you haven't already. Uh, make sure that you're sharing this around if you can and if you're able uh, because, um, uh, yeah, I'm definitely trying to uh, spread the word about this podcast. And uh, also, if you are able, please do support my work at patreon.com slash Danny Haifong. Uh, you can find the link in the description, and that's how I uh, essentially support uh, my work financially and appreciate all those who are able. But, Rudy, you're the next caller. How are you? You can unmute. Hey, what's up, Danny? Hi. How you doing? I'm doing okay. How about you? Pretty cool. Um, yeah, so actually, interesting conversation. I wanted to jump in because I spent a year and a half in Taiwan, and, you know, it's great people, um, complicated mm. place as well. Um, there's... The story of obviously the Chinese, uh, Chiang Kai-shek, and, you know, there's the people that were traditionally there. And, you know, then there's the Japanese and there's the Portuguese and all of that stuff. Um, there's the, um, the reality that China basically just dominates everything in the region. So then, you know as whatever people's sentiments might be. Um, there's really no avoiding doing business in in China, especially, you know, I mean, Taiwan feels it. Uh, if Australia feels it, you know, Taiwan mm-hmm. being right there feels it. I, I met people that did China, did Taiwan, and they're like, you know, I like Taiwan because of all the reasons that anybody likes the suburbs, you know. But then if you want any money, you know, you, you have to go to China. If, you, if you're really pursuing technology, it's right. China. It's like there's a lot of things that work in Taiwan because of China as much as anybody wants to deny it. Um, so, I, and I've spoken to people about the China-U.S. Uh, thing and, you know, these are just regular people that are just trying to live their lives for the most part. Um, there is a certain, like, American narrative that one just cannot afford, uh, like, avoid. And that comes with the TV propaganda. And also it comes with, like, the huge amount of, like, Americans, Europeans. But there's a bunch of other people, too, you know. So then, like, that also is reflected in... Uh, I don't know, the different narratives around. So, but then because of, again, the deep roots, the deep ties with China, it's just, Mm. there's just so much that the propaganda can do. Um, If you're looking at the enemy of like certain tribes and people in Taiwan, it's not the Chinese, it's Chiang Kai-shek. And so it's like, how, how how much can you do to convince these people that were slaughtered by Chiang Kai-shek that the real enemy is the people that were fighting Chiang Kai-shek? So it's, it's really difficult. And ultimately, what I think it is, it's like, we just have to get out because it's, we are, the, 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 the games, the war games have shown that we're going to lose. Um, if we win, Taiwan is going to be destroyed. If we win, well, that of, it's 
to taking down China and that destroys the whole world economy. It destroys our economy. It, it's it's crazy, and I think ultimately, again, it's, I think Chris Hedges is right that these people are just go running for you know going for our money, going for the last of like whatever we have. In and I think it's probably it's what's happening in the United States, and I think that's probably what's happening in Taiwan because um, partnering up with the United States is not something good for Taiwan and the Taiwanese people. But there are billions of dollars to be shared. And if you're one individual, you know, $1 billion is a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally, totally. And I think those are really a good points, especially about Taiwan and China and the, the relationship between the two. And yeah, no, I mean, it, I mean, trade between Taiwan and China, it's like at a record high. It's, it's really hard to imagine any kind of, it, I mean, this attempt to decouple the two it, it, when they're so interconnected. And, and I think that's a really valuable, uh, personal experience. So thanks, Rudy, for, for sharing that. Um, yeah. so yeah. Uh, sorry, Rudy. Did you have any, um, sorry. Did you have anything else you wanted to say? Yeah, I was gonna say it's it's crazy to me. I mean, it's it's just crazy to me that the United States of America is trying to stop a people from getting united. You know, with all the shit that we talk about uni unity and all of that, that we're again trying to stop. Like, what is our problem? Why? Why? What's wrong with us? Why? Why can't we just let the the the, the Koreans get along? You know, mm -hmm. we let the Chinese and get along. Why? What's What's wrong with us? <laughs> well, I mean, that's a that's a whole episode right there. I think <laughs> I think that there's so much to say about that because, I mean, when you think about just uh, how the United States' system right it thrives, and I think what's so interesting about it thriving on division, sowing kind of almost like these neo-colonial divides, like attempting to chop up peoples and countries into many pieces so that they can be more easily exploited. I think what's most interesting now about this is that it is very ineffectual, right? I mean, when it comes to Taiwan and when it comes to China, I mean, it seems like the more that the U.S. tries to escalate and become more aggressive, the more that we see that actually, as you said too, is just, you know, China has what it has. It has a growing economy. It has a market that is sought after that is absolutely suicidal to avoid and try to decouple from. So the more that the United States tries to push this aggressive kind of neo-colonial policy onto China through its policy with Taiwan. I think the more we see that this policy is not just uh, unsuccessful in a lot of ways, uh, but really just a sign of the desperation that the United States and its uh, uh, allies under could this I, I, kind of flailing system. Any, yeah. Could I jump in? Yeah, and well, anyone who else wants to come in the queue, please do. But yeah, Rudy is for. Yeah, I, I was do. gonna say you could actually see it in Biden's voice. It was like, "Are you yeah. gonna something about China?" Yeah, we, we, you know, we, we said we would, and uh -huh. um, you know, so some of it is the man is very old, but I think some of it is that it's it's. I was even reading, and I can't remember which propaganda um outlet this was. But they were basically just, you know, admitting to the fact that the United States just does not have the pull that he has. And that's why Mexico doesn't want to join in the sham of the summit of the Americas. That's why mm -hmm. all of these countries don't want to join. And the, 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 the guy, the, the lying military guy says, you know, it's just because Mexico just wants to, you know, align with the dictator. And there's no better reason, mm -hmm. but that Mexico just likes to, uh, but I guess, and it's just, it was, it's crazy. And then the lady says, oh, yeah, you know, isn't it crazy that we have to, like, somehow assuage these people who love dictators, who have human rights abuses? And it's it's just 
I, I don't even I don't even know how to it's the the TVs are so crazy it's just like how do you even relate to these people you know because you want to reach out and be able to meet people halfway but we're like an ocean away like there's just no way to keep your sanity how do you even reach a person like that that's yeah yeah no i mean there is a real crisis of confidence right now i think that's what we're seeing it, with the United States, I think Joe Biden is a perfect encapsulation of that because we don't really have, right? We have this this period that, and and I think Donald Trump was another kind of encapsulation of it. Just I think more of a sign that there was this growing fracturing in the United States, making its governance of this empire just more and more untenable. And I think Biden represents a different kind of fracture in the sense that uh, they're just it, he just doesn't have the kind of leadership and and he just doesn't represent he represents kind of what moment we're in where you have just intense pressures it seems like from all sides of capital right the military industrial complex finance they're not always in league with each other but they're very intensely trying to figure out how to mend things how to restabilize even just a little bit so that uh, there aren't these monumental crises cropping up uh, it seems like every few years now and that's that's just kind of how it's felt whether it's a political crisis whether it's an economic crisis uh, whether it's a geopolitical crisis it just seems like every few years there are these crises that spell doom for the future of of this system and i think that this new cold war is really you know this is like um uh confused and misguided and count, even counterproductive policy uh, toward china and russia too uh, just shows that you know when when the when the going gets rough for capital uh there the the solution is not okay let's pull back let's let's do what's logical and rational no the the impetus and the compulsion is to do what will accelerate right accelerate profits accelerate uh, the overall trajectory and process of capital accumulation and and uh, imperialist expansionism and that's that's what has happened, and it and it is making for I think a, a a very interesting time where you do have Joe Biden, right, someone who doesn't have really the capacity to manage these contradictions, right at the center of it all, and I, really taking the and, and really taking I think the I, the brunt of the damage, right? I mean, look at the state of his administration; he's take he's taking the brunt of it. Um, it's so um, it's so true. We we literally the machine is so useless right now that like at the heart of it we have to get the most useless man like um, <laughs> in the country to l- not lead it basically you know we just we just basically are neutral and there's nothing that can be d- these guys are just like it's in everything is just so frozen and the mm-hmm. crazy thing is now these guys really don't have anything they they don't fight for anything. They're disloyal to everything. The only thing that <laughs> they really care about is themselves. And mm-hmm. it's putting, it's crazy because it puts their own uh, program in danger because like some dumb judge will not allow Biden to like replace her with or him with uh, Kamala Harris so that they can put somebody else in there. You know, it's that kind of stupid stuff. It's like, why do you even care to be, you know, this, just take the money? But no, people like don't want to save the project. They want to be judges. They want to be senators and all kind of these dumb things that ultimately don't matter to, don't matter if, you know, the, the American people can somehow wake up. Yeah. Well, thanks. Well, thanks, Rudy, for for a good conversation. There's no one else in the queue, but I think I actually am going to close up here if nobody else is uh, uh, wanting to comment or um, have any questions for this week. But uh, 
But yeah, thanks so much for all your participation, callers and, and listeners alike. And uh, let's sorry about that. And um, yeah, so sorry about the time. Sundays have are usually a good time every time at eleven thirty. But I have been pushing it back a little bit. I don't know if that works better for people, uh, but it has been working better for me. So uh, please do just be on the lookout for the notifications by subscribing to this podcast, uh, by making sure you're following me uh, here individually, also following me, uh, following the podcast. And of course, you know, if you can support uh, my work at patreon.com slash Danny Haifong, whatever amount, uh, that is also appreciated. It's how uh, you support all the work that I do. Um, other announcements, got a column coming up as well, and uh, I'll be sharing that on Substack. I'll be sharing that probably with like a gender report, and uh, it'll be kind of about what we were talking about today, Rudy and I at the end here about the state of Joe Biden's administration. Uh, so keep a lookout for that. Uh, keep uh, following me. Make sure they follow me on Twitter and all the good places. And um, yeah, good to be with you all. Please do uh, come back next time for another episode of Cold War Brew. Take good care, everyone. Bye-bye.